we're finally going to start the book of Acts. So last week, if you were here, we had a bit of an introduction to the book of Acts. And now we do have the first few verses of that book. So we're going to be reading from Acts chapter 1, from verse 1, all the way through to verse 5. So if you do have your Bibles, opening Acts, and we are going to start the book. So chapter 1, and we'll be reading together from verse 1 to verse 5. Let me start reading. So, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days, speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word once again. We, we thirst for hearing your voice. And that's what we pray. We pray this afternoon that this will happen to us. That we will not just hear the words, but we will actually hear your voice as we open the scriptures. Give us spiritual ears to hear what the Spirit's saying to, to our church this afternoon. And we pray that in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I am not entirely sure how many of us here know about a guy called Cristiano Ronaldo. Let me just ask. Put your hand up if you've heard about Cristiano Ronaldo. So that's some, not all of us, but some of us have heard about him. He happens to be probably at this very time the most famous footballer alive. And when I'm talking about football, I'm, I'm talking about the one you actually play with your foot. That makes sense, right? The football is the one you play with your foot. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about now. <laughs> But Cristiano happens to be very famous and he is very rich and one of the reasons he became very famous and became very good at what he does is because he is very driven. He likes to win and he puts everything he's got to become the best of the best. And now he probably can say that because he's the player that he recorded the most number of goals scored ever in the history of football. So that happened just a few uh, weeks ago. So he's just got that. And recently he used to play for a team called Real Madrid in Spain. I'm not sure how many of you heard about Real Madrid. But he finished uh, playing for Real Madrid. And he is now playing for a club in Italy called Juventus. So he, is the, he made this transition uh, a year and a so ago. And he's been playing for Juventus for a little while. And the interesting thing was I was watching an interview of a guy called Diego Costa, who is also a player for Juventus, and he's Brazilian. So I was watching his interview, and he's saying about lots of things, but one of the things he was saying was, what was the impact that the team had when Cristiano, Cristiano came on board? And he started to describe this whole 
change that really took place just by the very person of him. So all of these guys playing for Juventus are professional footballers, among the best in the world, really well paid. But somehow, when this guy came into the team, their performance improved. Like they lost percentual of fat in the body. Like I'm talking about professional athletes. How do they have fat in their bodies? I don't think they do. Somehow they lost more because Cristiano is just such a driven guy that has caused all of the team to be in such a mentality of winning that just happened by the sheer fact that he was there. It's pretty impressive. I I recommended to watch some documentaries on on his personality. It's pretty impressive. Now, the reason I'm mentioning this is because what we're going to see in the book of Acts today is something quite similar to that. We're going to see the Lord Jesus. We're going to get a snapshot of Jesus. And we'll see that the, the very presence of Jesus had an effect on the people around him. As I mentioned last week, uh, we started this new series. Let me just make sure here. So that's the new series. We've got Acts, the Purpose. Uh, pers uh, perseverant prayer and powerful proclamation. So that's the new series we are currently going through at the moment. And the goal of this series, what we want to achieve is that by the end of it, we will have our people committed to personal and corporate prayer, as well as personal and public evangelism, because we believe that that's the strategy that God has for growing His church. So we have, we've got these four actual goals. We want people to be having meaningful time of prayer daily, meaningful time of prayer corporately once a week, to preach the gospel to someone you know in 2021 or 2022, or to preach the gospel to, and to preach the gospel to someone you don't know in 2021 and 2022. If at the end of this series we can get uh, some of our church to achieve those goals, you start to see a movement of God uh, working in our lives. Now, the Word of God, obviously, especially here in the book of Acts, will be an encouragement to you. It will show to you, it will tell you stories of how God advanced His church by faithful prayer as well as powerful proclamation. Now, today, we're going to especially talk a little bit more about powerful proclamation. And when it comes to powerful proclamation, the book of Acts it starts with Jesus. Start with Jesus because you need to know something. Powerful proclamation didn't show up in the life of the apostles out of nowhere. As a matter of fact, it showed up in the life of the apostles because they spent three years with their Lord Jesus Christ, watching Him preach. They learned His ways. So much so that in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, when Peter and John are in front of the Sanhedrin, and the Sanhedrin is threatening them and saying, you ought not to teach in the name of Jesus anymore. You are not allowed to spread this message anymore. And they say, sorry, we cannot obey you. We must obey our Lord rather than obey men. They say, they say this, now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. They're not watching their boldness and thinking, oh, well, that's new. They're saying, whoa, they were with the carpet and guy, the carpet and guy that we just crucified. 
So that's why when Luke starts the book of Acts, he starts with a snapshot of Jesus as, and then the title of my message is, the herald par excellence. Jesus is the herald par excellence, the supreme proclaimer of the kingdom of God. And just in those five verses there, you see Jesus teaching, you see Jesus giving commands, you see Jesus speaking about the kingdom of God, you see Jesus giving orders and making promises. During those, the time that Jesus is alive, he teaches. He speaks. He talks. You need to know this. Jesus was a teacher. That's why they called him a rabbi, a teacher. Jesus was not an entertainer. Jesus was not a talk show host. Jesus wasn't a politician. Jesus was a teacher. He taught the scriptures. When people came to Jesus, they came to hear what God was saying through him. Because he was a teacher of God's word. And that's precisely what he did. So Jesus was a herald proclaiming powerfully the kingdom of God and teaching his disciples to do the same. That's how they learned. And that's where we start. Everything starts with Jesus. And now let me tell you this. Bold proclamation is important not because bold proclamation is cool. Not because bold proclamation gets attention from people. Bold proclamation is only important because that's how God is like. There is no other reason why we encourage people to be bold in their proclamation of the gospel, apart from the fact that when we see Jesus, He is bold. <coughs> Pardon me. Does that make sense? That's the only reason why bold proclamation is something we should value and something we should try to have present in our lives. Now, the thing is, I believe there are some characteristics, especially here in the book of Acts, about this proclamation of Jesus, which was some sort of a, a key to that, to that, to the foundation of that boldness that we are talking about. So I believe there are three characteristics in these five verses that we just read that I'd like to uh, explore with you. The first one we've had pretty clearly is that Jesus' proclamation was coupled with his actions. Jesus' proclamation was coupled with his actions. You see that very clearly in verse 1 there, when it says in the first book of Theophilus, so Luke's writing to this, to this guy, Theophilus, and the first book we're talking about is the Gospel of Luke. So Acts is a volume 2. The Gospel of Luke is volume 1. So this is just a continuation. So Luke is writing it down. He's saying, in the first book, in the book of Acts, Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. In other words, what Luke is saying here to Theophilus is this. I spent these many, and here we're talking about the longest of the Gospels. I spent these many amount of words just to try to show you, not just what Jesus was teaching, but what Jesus was doing. 
the focus that Luke is trying to draw Theophilus' attention to is there is something about Jesus that that explodes from this union between word and deeds. Do you see? Both of those things are very important. Now, the theologian John Calvin, not sure how many of us um, would be familiar with him, but he called this the holy knot. Jesus' deeds and Jesus' words. He's saying that, that it's very important for us when trying to understand and fully appreciate the person of Christ, that we get both of those elements together. The deeds of Christ and the words of Christ should never be separated from each other. Abandoning the words of Christ whilst holding on to the deeds of Christ will make you a heretic. And abandoning the deeds of Christ whilst holding on to the words of Christ will make you a hypocrite. This is very important. If you say, Jesus, I don't care about what you say, but I love the things you do, you will become a heretic. Neglecting the truth of God, but thinking that God does some cool things. But if you say, Jesus, I like what you say, but guess what? I'm not going to leave that way. You become a hypocrite. Both have to go together. And I believe those are the two categories that we're playing here with. Because those people who, for example, love the deeds, but hate the words of Christ, they will love passages like John 6, one to, one to, verse 1 to verse 15, where Jesus is feeding the crowds. They like that. Wow, Jesus is feeding the hungry. What a, but they hate John 6, 26 to 27, when Jesus rebukes the crowds for being after just the food. They're like, nah, that's a bit harsh. Feeding the crowd, fantastic, Jesus. Got some brownie points. Rebuking the crowds because they're just interested in the food. Jesus, lack of compassion here. Come on. They love Jesus raising the dead like in John 11 when he raises Lazarus from the dead but they struggle with the fact when an accident happens and people come running to Jesus and they ask what happened here? Who sinned? This man, their fathers, what happened Jesus? Why did they die? And Jesus says this, if you don't repent you will likewise perish. And then I hang on a minute Jesus you, you are the dead raising guy aren't you? So don't say that just go there and raise the people. Don't come telling me if I don't repent, I um, will likewise perish. That's very harsh. Have you thought about the families that are grieving at the moment, Jesus? That's very insensitive of what you're saying. You see? Jesus' deeds and Jesus' word. Now, on the other side, you have those who love the words, but they hate the deeds. Those are the people who, they will quote the Bible back to front, but they are dry and bitter. No the biblical stories. They know the story of the Good Samaritan. They can tell you from memory, but they will never go out of the way to help someone in need. They are the ones that the Lord Jesus described. They will call me Lord, Lord, but they refuse to live a life according to Jesus' teaching. That Jesus' teaching on kindness towards our enemies. Jesus' teaching on marriage, on forgiveness, on sexuality, on Christian love. 
and other biblical instruction. Believe it or not, there are Christians, people who try to call themselves Christians, who disagree with Jesus. Sometimes they like what he says, but they would never live the way how Jesus have told us to live. So you have those two sides. And let me tell you, everyone in this room has a leaning towards one of those sides. I'm not saying you are on one of those sides, but we have a leaning towards and we've got to be pushing ourselves back. And then you, or you lean to this side and you've got to be, oh, no, I've got to go back here. All of us here, everyone has an inclination to one of those two scenarios. Liking either the words more than the deeds or vice versa. You're either more inclined to be the person who loves to perform the deeds of charity, help others, but finds the words of Jesus sometimes a little bit too offensive. You know this hell thing? Like, can we just... Please, Jesus, just to, just to help it. That one I really don't like. I find it very difficult. Struggles to tell non-Christians that they are sinners and that they need repentance and salvation, just like everyone else, us included. Love phrases of that says, for example, you know, preach the gospel if necessary, use words. Have you heard that one before? They're being wrongly attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. He never said that. He was a great preacher, by the way. Now, you're either that, or you are more inclined to be a person who uses the Bible verses to justify your own wicked living. Someone who speaks the word of God whilst living like the word of Satan. A man and a woman of that religion who everybody around you will know and ask, you think you know God, but do you really know God? The way you're living? I know you say it. I know you, 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 you have a, a, a religious behavior, but I'm trying to discern here. Now, everyone here has a lean to one of those scenarios. Me included. Now, God's design for a powerful proclamation is through lips and body that are in sync. The words of Christ and the deeds of Christ through our lives together. That's design, the God's design for you and for me. Now, I believe there is also the fact that Jesus' proclamation was about the commands of the kingdom of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. Very clearly, verse 2 and verse 3. Until, pardon me, until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days speaking about the kingdom of God. See that an important part of the message of Jesus was the commands of God. Can you see that very clearly saying? That after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. A very important section of what Jesus was saying was related to the commands of God. Jesus was not conveying the wishes of God. Jesus was not conveying the suggestions of God. 
Jesus was not bringing the ideas of God onto the table for discussion. He was giving commands through the power of the Holy Spirit. The commands of the kingdom of God. That's why it says in the end of verse 3 that he was speaking about the kingdom of God. If there is a kingdom, there is a king. The future of the world, when God comes, is not democracy. Let me tell you this. It's not. We're talking about a king, but we're talking about a perfect king. I'm not saying monarchy is better than democracy. I'm not saying that. I'm saying if you have a perfect king, monarchy is better. At the heart of a powerful proclamation lies the knowledge of the one being a spokesperson for the king of the universe. The one to whom everyone will one day have to give an account. So when Jesus is speaking, he knows he is speaking with authority. The commands of God. And that's precisely why you see passages, for example, like Acts, Acts 17. When Paul rocks up in the middle of Athens, okay, a busy city, a big city, knows no one, hasn't made a single friend, doesn't, didn't build a single relationship. He stands up in the middle of everyone and he says this, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. How's that about preaching the gospel to someone you never knew in your whole life? God commands you to repent. Commanding. Don't use the word command. Let's say God invites you. Isn't it better? Paul doesn't seem to think so. And all of that, when Jesus does that, you see that he did those commands. He spoke those commands through the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit was with him. Now let me tell you this. What makes a proclamation powerful is the active witnessing of the Holy Spirit to what you were saying. That's what makes a proclamation powerful. A powerful proclamation is not powerful because of the catchy phrases we use, or because we use many words of impact, or because we've got a good oratory. It's not. A powerful proclamation is powerful. Because you are speaking the very words of the living God. And God the Holy Spirit himself is saying amen to what you're saying. That's what makes a powerful proclamation. Your proclamation will be powerful if God agrees with you. If you're saying what you're supposed to say. Now I know, especially in this day and age, can be quite frightening sometimes to speak out words the words of 
the commands of God. He really is. Days of the bills, like I was just talking before, the change of suppression, conversion, practices, prohibition bill that was approved in Victoria on Friday. Days when speaking out the word of God could get you some jail time. Now let me tell you this. Your proclamation of the gospel will be a powerful one when you cease to shy away from the commands of God. Just like Jesus didn't shy away from the commands of God. As you literally step out in faith and you speak the commands of God, God himself will be bearing witness that your words are true. You won't need to be afraid because God will be with you. He will not leave you hanging. He will be right by your side, bearing witness, strengthening you. Just like Paul when he was um, to testify when he was heading to Rome and he said, everyone abandoned me, but the Lord stood by. And he really did. You, you, if you read the book of Acts over there, you will see, we're going to see later on, that Jesus stood with him on, in a cell. Jesus came to Paul to help him out. But it's important for us to know that the content of our proclamation has to be about the kingdom of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. Lastly, Jesus' proclamation was about the availability and necessity of God's power for mission. And we see that in the last two verses of this section. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, this is the first command that Jesus gives to the disciples to obey in his absence. Okay? Up until now, Jesus has been around. So Jesus has been telling them to do, to do this, to do that. Now, this is the first command he gives them to obey while he is going away. And you know what the first command is? Wait. The first thing Jesus asks his disciples to do is to do nothing. But it's not just to wait, but it is to wait for God. You see? You say, wait, because you heard, you will be baptized. You will be immersed in the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now, this is going to take place. And let me tell you, until then, you don't do anything. He's telling them, there is a power that is available, but not just that. That power is necessary for the mission that it is ahead of you. And he was already telling them that in John 14. If you go to the Gospel of John, for example, and you, go, you read from verse 15 to 17, you will see he says this to the disciples. If you love me, you will keep my commands. Okay, commands again, show me up. You will keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. 
You know him because he dwells with you, but he will be in you. So when Jesus is telling them, you wait, he's telling about, he's talking about this. Wait for this transition to take place. Yes, the Holy Spirit is with you at the moment right now. But let me tell you, God wants to be right in your heart. Yes, you've tasted some of the power of the Spirit, but let me tell you, what is about to happen is that God wants to dwell in you. He doesn't want just to be with you. He wants to be in you. I think this is amazing. Especially when you take the whole Jewish history of the presence of God just being in that one little place in the Holy of Holies where the, where the high priest could only go once a, once a year and then all of a sudden he says, no, 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 no. God's Spirit will now be on everyone's heart when people believe in Him. This is amazing. Now, the important thing about this is sometimes when we hear about this baptism of the Holy Spirit, and we think this. We think that the baptism of the Spirit is for missions, right? The Spirit will baptize you, give you power, and then you're going to be my witnesses. That's what Jesus tells as well. But what you need to understand is before anything happens outside, it needs to happen in you. Before God operates through you, He wants to operate in you. That's what this is all about. You will be filled with the Holy Spirit. And here, the, this baptism of the Spirit is when you are born again. When you become a Christian. When you first hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit comes and fills your heart and gives you faith and you believe. Now, maybe you were thinking, if you believed... I believe because my mom and dad told me. I believe because I grew up in a Christian home. You believe because the Holy Spirit baptized you. That is the only reason a person can believe. It is impossible for a person to believe in the gospel of Jesus by himself. Tell you what, doing the evangelism at the, at, at the jetty reminds me of that every time. Of how hard it is to get a person, even to hear the gospel, much more to believe it. Sometimes I feel like I have leprosy or something, and I'm trying to give tracts away, and people like they shy away from me, like I'm Satan or something. Really, is like it's just this is just a tract. You can just say, "Oh no, thank you," but like they're like, "Do I smell or something?" I don't know. Like seriously, the conversations we have and all of that—it is impossible unless. God is doing the work. Remember when the disciples approached Jesus and said, Jesus, if this is the case, who, who can be saved? Do you remember that story? And then Jesus says, with man, can't happen. With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So this baptism of the Holy Spirit is what brought the disciples back to life. So that they would become instruments of God 
to bring others back to life as well. But let me tell you, it starts with us. It starts in our hearts. Maybe you never thought about this, but you are also part of God's mission. The mission of God's not out there. It's here as well. You and I are also part of God's mission. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe that God wants to use you powerfully to reach others as well. Amen to that? Amen. But yes, it starts here with us. God wants you and I to be born again and to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit and then to become that witness that goes out and proclaims the gospel of Christ. So my encouragement to you in relation to this one here is, yes, there is a power that it is available. There is a power that it is necessary for mission through the person of the Holy Spirit. But that's not just for the mission out there. It's also for the mission in here. It goes both ways. So the question you've got to be asking is, am I continually availing myself of this power that it is available for me? Am I continually being aware of the necessity of this power for the mission, or am I trying to do it in my own strength? How is the mission going in my own heart? Yes, God, I know you want to change the world, but how is God changing me? That's the preaching of the gospel. We preach it to others, but we preach it to ourselves as well. We preach it to ourselves that Jesus came, that Jesus died, that he paid the price that you and I needed to pay to be forgiven. And that is the foundation for everything we say and everything we do. And in that, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation. <coughs> Romans 1. That's how we tap into that power, through the power of the Spirit. We're in for a big ride, people. I believe there are so many great things here that will encourage you in your prayer life and in your life of speaking out the gospel, of heralding the gospel of Christ. The only thing we need to do is behold the word of God and see what is God saying to me and how do I respond to that.